I'm Ryan Pack. And I'm Nicole Barlow. And this is Soundtrack Your Life, where we talk to a guest about a soundtrack that they feel connected to. Today we are joined by Jylon Salman. She's a poet, visual artist, and a lover of cinema. Welcome, Jylon. Hello. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Ryan. She's joining us all the way from Egypt, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, some of your works. Well, I'm a poet, uh, essentially. I write about cinema and I interview artists. I interview um, sometimes even, you know, like independent, small scale artists and directors and stuff like that. I collaborate in artistic projects. I'm mostly an artist, I think, but the things that I have credit for are publishing books, uh, whether two poetry books in English, two uh, novels in Arabic, and multiple articles that you can find online on cinema and music. Uh, you can find me on Jalen Salman on Twitter and on Instagram. And my poetry is all on thepros.com. Very cool. Thanks. And today we are going to talk about both cinema and music because we are going to talk about the 2003 Quentin Tarantino film Kill Bill Volume 1. So, Jylon, why are we talking about Kill Bill today? Because it's so awesome for words like what what's going on like what is this guy doing and how is he doing it the way he's doing it how is me making this collage of cinematic masterpiece and references and homages and music and it's just so he's like so awesome and he's so you can feel it's so messy but it's well orchestrated so you can feel he's so articulate in creating this chaotic mess it's so well orchestrated mess so it's a good way to talk about a film. A well-orchestrated mess. I love that description. It's a messy ballet of violence, revenge. Does anybody do revenge better than Tarantino? I'm not sure that anyone does. Nope. I don't think so, too. Ryan? Just makes a fantastic revenge flick. Maybe Park John wook who, uh Tarantino kind of made famous in america right he kind of he's the one that brought old boy over true and you can I, those mo watching killville recently this week and you know having seen old boy i was like there yeah those guys are like two peas in a pod he, he definitely respects the masters and steals from them also but i i want to pause on this for a second this is a really big moment for soundtrack your life because i've been trying to convince ryan to watch this movie and cover it forever. But Ryan, a little scared of violence. So did you watch the entire Kill Bill Volume 1? Did you watch it like behind your hands? Are you okay? I watched the whole thing. I am okay. <laughs> I mean, I... So so the, the story is I went to go see this in the theater and uh, I was about to lose my lunch after about half an hour of the movie, so I didn't finish it. <laughs> And it's not that I'm not, it's not that I can't take violence. I just am not a big gore person. And this movie is a little bit heavy on the gore. A little, just a little. This was my reaction just after watching Itchy the Killer. This was the one I couldn't keep my lunch. And I was like, 
no, this is a new level of crazy. No, no, no. But for me, Kill Bill was like even back then. I don't know if I'm now more depraved or now more sensitive. But even back then, it was like fun violence. Like I don't know. Maybe the violence is, yeah, the tale is raw and real, and and you can feel the emotions. Especially the bride character is just so good, and she's a mother. You can even feel a way of a noble cause behind her revenge in a way the idea that she's a woman and she's a mother and stuff like that but even then the violence doesn't feel so real like it doesn't i don't know how to s explain it it feels realistic but it's not realistic like it's kind of in your face like he's not trying to make you feel yeah i'm i'm doing this for that i'm doing this for that this is not the world tarantino is trying to create he's just creating the world where yeah all the rules are terrible and people are all bad but hey this is a real life or this is the real life the way I see it. So you just take it. It's always meta for me. Like he's staring at me and he's like, no, this is my world. Accept it. And I like that in a creator, to be honest, in an artist. Yeah. It's funny because everyone is bad, but everyone also has like a code. <laughs> a code, a moral code. Well, so I think that's important though. It's it's because it's cartoonish. I find the violence kind of cartoonish, yeah. which is probably why I can tolerate it. Exactly. It's not saw, it's not torture porn. It's not like mad gory. Uh, a lot of blood gets spilled, but I think it's also just like you said, it's like a just cause. There's a moral center. It also takes so many of its, um, you know, cues from like spaghetti westerns and re revenge films, right? Soundtrack has a lot of uh, Ennio Morricone on it. Both of the films have a lot of uh, Ennio Morricone, who is wonderful Italian Ooh. scores many of those like famous spaghetti westerns and it works i think so well in this context anytime you want to duel you need a little go ahead didn't, didn't you get any to uh score is it the hateful eight yeah which is another great revenge flick from tarantino an actual spaghetti western yeah actual, the hateful eight uh -huh. wow Definitely. I think he's he's really heavily influenced too by like when I was just watching the influences behind it, he was also influenced by these series that he would watch as a kid. And a lot of them were samurai series or, you know, let me just go back to the note that I write. He's also he likes black exploitation and all the Japanese crime capers, Kung Fu martial stuff like that. So you could feel some of these things don't have it with with a storyline, with an explanation on why the violence is going on. But because Tarantino is a real artist and he's just taking, but with a cause of his own or the his message of his own, so you can feel like it fits into the tapestry. So you don't feel like the violence is, I don't know, it's, it's not just there to to make you feel like, yeah, I can do this. I can show you how they open a head. It's, sometimes it's even, the violence is just kind of like funny. Like, haha, of course not. Are you kidding me? What if she just plucks his eyes and he just falls back? It's for me, this is why I feel like I can take this kind of violence. And I always saw the the, the criticism kind of overrated, but maybe this is just me. I don't know. Yeah, I think there are definitely like points where he kind of lets you take a breath. So it's not just like intense violence, intense violence. You know, you have the the um, the little kid at the restaurant near the end of the film where she just ends up kind of lightly spanking him. <laughs> Which is so funny. Go back home to your mother. Yeah. Uh, even at the beginning of the film with, um, you know, they, they stop when the school bus pulls up. 
and you know, little little uh, Nikki comes home. That's the same as that. Like you said, like he's a master of what he's doing. He understands what he can get away with. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a gun in a cereal box that says "Kaboom" on the box. <laughs> awesome. Like it's an extremely confident director. Exactly, and the wagon. The wagon that she rides in, the way it yeah, the takes the wagon. name from uh, the Grease Lightning reference. So, yeah, totally. You can feel like he, he knows what he can get away with. Yeah, I love, um, I kind of love, hate all of the, the pussy wagon uh, related scenes because they're incredibly disturbing. I know. For very, starters. Very. Uh, but the culmination of how she gets revenge, sort of like a revenge within revenge story, right? The culmination of how she gets uh, that bad dude uh, who is the previous owner of the pussy wagon back is very satisfying. And, uh, <laughs> let me just tell you, as a woman, some of these things are like really good. Like the buck guy, yeah, go. Do him. You just do him bad. The other guy, it, it's awesome. Like for you to see this, it's it, you root for her. You root for her. I And I still can't, speaking of scenes I can't fully watch, the one scene in this movie that is too violent for me that I cannot fully watch is the scene where she uh, slices Buck's Achilles tendon open. <laughs> that yeah. part is a little a little bit intense. Uh, but it is also, like, incredibly satisfying uh, and really, like, I don't know, just play so perfectly. And also to, like a really perfect Isaac Hayes song that I don't think is on the soundtrack. It's called Truck Turner. <laughs> so again, like you said, it's like a very like a black exploitation stolen kind of moment where it's very seventies. Very. And very cool. That whole sequence is, that whole sequence is very good. There are many, many good uh, musical moments and uh, things that are just kind of like, to me, like forever entwined, which is what makes it such a cool soundtrack. Yeah, you're taking a lot of elements from previous, from like previous scores and stuff. And in a way, like it sounds like it shouldn't work. Yes. Right. You have the black exploitation and you have like samurai music or, you know, music from samurai films. You have the theme from the Green Hornet TV show. You have that woohoo song that the five, six, seven, eights cover. Like all of this sounds like it should not make any sense. It shouldn't make any sense. I I think you have to give a lot of credit, especially for volume one to the RZA who orchestrated, produced, put together a lot of this music on Quentin Tarantino's behalf. Uh, Tarantino likes to say that he starts his scores with opening theme. Uh, which in this case is the Nancy Sinatra song, Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down. He starts with the opening theme, then he kind of like sets the tone, figures out what the tempo and what like the direction is going to be from there. So he kind of gave the RZA this like, okay, this is what I want to create. And then he ran with that. And then also um, made a bunch of original pieces for the film, a lot of which are like in that very iconic scene, the House of Blue Leaves scenes where she's fighting all the Yakuza. I think so. I really believe this is so cool too. And the way that he uses the Lady Snowblood um, references, as well as the beautiful song. It's such a beautiful, like even he's giving the villain a very martyr, like a very 
good, satisfying ending. Like, she's the hero of her own story. We were watching it from the point of view of the bride, but this doesn't mean... Like, when I saw her backstory in the beginning, I was like, okay, but I kind of root for this lady too. Look what happened to her. Like, I like her. I like her so much. But in the case of the bride, she betrayed her friend. So I'm starting to get these steered feelings. But in the end, the way her death was kind of like noble, let's say, more than the other, let's say, goofy, crazy 88 people. You can feel mm -hmm. deep down that, yes, she deserves an ending like that. She deserves this epic ending. And who would have thought of using Xamphor in a movie like this? Are you serious, man? You're a, ge I'm sorry. You're a genius. Whoever had this part put... It's so genius. It's some deep, some deep pulls. I also think some of the really great musical moments for me all center around um, Oren Ishii, who is Lucy Liu's character in the film. Uh, there's a really wonderful, everybody's seen this film, so everyone knows it, but there's a really wonderful like sort of interlude that's all anime that tells Oren's backstory that I'm violent. wild about. I think about it a lot. <laughs> and it is incredibly, it's so violent. <laughs> it is, it is, yes. And you can feel all the guys. But it's also so, it's so well done, um, and, and it has a lot of those like spaghetti western kind of tracks uh, set against it. Yes. That make it really like sweeping and cinematic, and it's not very long, but you understand all of her motivations and her backstory, and suddenly you have this, what could be like a really flat villain, and she's this sympathetic character. What's cool about the entire Deadly Viper assassination squad to me is that they could all have their own backstory. They could all have their own movie, their own spinoff in a way. Definitely. It felt like a comic book. It felt like a way that this could have been a comic book, you know, like the Kill Bill and you can have all the spin-offs and all the characters and stuff like that because it's so cool. Like, so cool. Every single member, even the girl Gaga, her name was Gaga. Yeah, the, the, bodyguard. The, the girl who was raised by Oceanry or yeah. Orange. Go-Go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. This girl, this girl kind of like drove me crazy. I loved her so much. I wanted to learn a lot about her like what she lacks in age she makes up for in craziness what who are you let me know more give me more about her why is she like this how did she raise her did she get her from a certain trauma from a certain bad experience but maybe sheltered her so there is a lot to dig in this movie she's a great character and she doesn't even have very much screen time but she's so memorable right. uh i feel like this entire movie also spawned just like Halloween costumes for about a decade because so much of the costuming <laughs> and the character building yeah, is also super iconic. 5,000% after this movie. I've definitely been. <laughs> Their yellow jumpsuits, like, yeah, and those, like, uh, those, like, Onitsuka tiger shoes that she wears. I had a pair of those for a while. Wow. I'd love to. I really it. like this movie. I've been trying to get Ryan to cover it for a, for so long. So yay! Thank you. I'm still alive. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank Ryan you. Ryan didn't bark. We're still here. I finally <laughs> finished it. Twenty. You years. finally finished the movie. Twenty years later. There's also like a 15 second motif that they stole from, well, not stole, but it's from Quincy Jones. It's Ironside, and it's kind of whenever she's angry and yeah and it's so awesome when she sees red yeah. Not, yeah. we can't do it right it's like a siren sound everybody knows that it sounds like a siren yeah exactly Ooh.
uh, something like that. Yeah, I feel like for me, I could use this in my personal life. Everybody do your really bad impression of it like, at home. Had an altercation, you know, like at the grocery store with customer service that just drives you crazy. Like, ah, and you could feel like, <laughs> don't get her out of me, baby. Don't get the bride out of me. I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, and again, like what a deep pull, that random Quincy Jones track that they only use a snippet of, but it's so intense. And that's impact because that has become a thing now that you just kind of like pick up in movies and TV to instantly telegraph like, oh, someone's mad and some shit's going to go down. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with Quincy Jones, you just assume that it's like a beat that the Rizzo like, you know, cooked up for the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but no, I, I think it's just him, um, and all Tarantino movies are this way. They have that great, like, kind of, like, crate dug, um, obscure vinyl vibe to them. But that's definitely the deepest of pulls. So, you know, we are talking about Tarantino soundtracks. I kind of feel like Battle Without Honor or Humanity is like the miserloo of this movie, where you hear that song and immediately you're like, oh, Kill Bill. It's mm-hmm. them. It's them. Yep. And it's kind of like this it's self-explanatory, too. But in a good way, like, although in a way, if everyone is just fighting for their own, not to say honor, but to the, say the, their cause or whatever, but to, to see the way they're doing it, yes, it's battle that honor and humanity. And it's awesome, dude. I'm in for the ride, thanks. Yeah, isn't that like the best way to like introduce like you and your posse to so walk out to that song? Yes. 100 percent. but again like all these songs now have become um almost shorthand right for your posse is walking out um things someone's gonna get really mad and throw down uh there's a great netflix animated movie called the Mitchells versus the machines i don't know if anyone has seen it but it uses both of those songs uh in like different vignettes in the film and that's just like an animated movie for kids so i feel like that's how much ripple effect uh that that kind of song use can can have it's so iconic that you almost can't even replace it now never like what's going to be better than that you know for a moment that's that's similar you can't redo that no like i feel i feel like some boxer probably walks out to the ring into that song you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure you're right must have i'm sure you're right um, another one that I love that is super iconic is is this song Twisted Nerve by Bernard Herman. Uh, it is the whistle solo that Daryl Hannah's character gets. So she's walking through the hospital with her like eye patch nurse getup. Uh, it's incredibly sinister. Uh, I don't think anyone but this group of people would see like the sinister potential in a song like that, but it just comes across like so mean. Very, very. So foreboding. It has this effect. So foreboding. Yes. So, so foreboding. So scary. And she's just, and the way they orchestrate even the montage, you're like, oh, oh, like what? And she's just dressing up. <laughs> in my mind, all I could think of was, did she kill a nurse? No, because I know a woman like that would kill it in her own, like, scary, cold blood way. So just how did you get the outfit? So for me, it was even my wild imagination just even ran and ran and the whistle continued. So, wow, kudos. 
Yeah, I would have guessed that song came out of a Hitchcock movie with how kind of unsettling it is with the whistling. You would have yes, known. it's super unsettling. Very. I think that's I think that was composed around the same time as like Hitchcock's heyday, but I but it did not come from a Hitchcock movie. And it's even it's like I don't know, it's like when you have this lullaby in a scary movie and all of a sudden you're like, How did you come up with the way to use it in this movie to make it feel so evil and so shitty like this is what i felt like all these tunes could have been standalones really cool to listen to lately even silly bordering on silly but you put it there and you feel like they're charged with violence and charged with you know like an underlying sense of of malice or something so for me to be able to do all that to be able to do to mesh all that into one single movie that doesn't feel out of place at times i think it's it's a brilliant way to to make art or to create and to be behind, That's you know. Like... Brilliant, yeah. Just as you said, it's like it's so full of malice, and so you know instantly when you meet this character who is Daryl Hannah, you know, of like Splash. She's not necessarily like a scary, imposing figure in most of her other work. So they had to really like build that up, and instantly you know, like, oh, she she's baddie. And I wish I had this radar in real life. <laughs> Imagine meeting a person for the first time and you hear something and <laughs> you're bad news, baby. <laughs> no thanks. Red flag. <laughs> oh, it's, I have something. It's just like you said, though. Like some of these, these songs, like they go in my head a little bit, like they're earworms. And so you think of them in certain situations, like when you're in that phone tree and you do the like scene red, like Ironside's noise. <laughs> This is so true. It's enough for me. And I can feel it too like I'm sending a vibe to the other one. Like I'm complaining on a service and they just, they're trying to give me boring answers and stuff like that. I'm trying to send it to them. Ah, be careful. I'm going to unleash on you now. Okay. You got it to yourself. Come on, baby. Get it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so yeah. I haven't tried to watch this movie in 20 years and that whistle has stayed with me for 20 years. Awesome. Awesome. See the effect. In your head. Yeah, like, I was like, oh, when's the whistling part coming? Oh, here it is. Uh, did we establish 20 years ago when you tried to watch this film and your stomach was flippy flopping? Like, what scene w were you out at? After uh, I'm Buck and I like to fuck. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I totally get it. Ugh. The, the Was it the ankle scene that yeah. got you? Well, Ryan, you yeah. feel like, no, no, enough for me. And he just walks off. Wow. Yeah, it's a bad. That's a bad Look. one. You missed all of uh, the great Tarantino foot moments, though. I feel like if you if you opted out at that moment. And the idea of picking, like for me, Uma Thurman is is just Tarantino. Like for me, like just like John Luke Godard is Anna Karina. Sometimes it's um, now it's Luca Guandegno and Timothy Chalamet. So for me, this is this is her, like manifestation of his muse, the manifestation of his inspiration. She and my uh, Samuel L. Jackson, I think, both of them, they're like Tarantino for me, baby, more than any other actor. So to pick her for this epic, the best. I mean, this film is hers completely. She she is like the, this is the perfect personification of like him, her as his his muse. Um, she she carries 
this film, if you want to consider it one film between one and two, um, so powerfully. uh, I don't see any, no one else could do this. It's just not. No, it's so hard. It's not an exercise that's possible for me because she's so um, perfect in this. Uh, I know we're not necessarily talking about volume two, but I think one of my favorite fight scenes committed to film ever is the scene of her and Daryl Hannah finally having a showdown in the trailer. This was awesome. I, I mean, it's so well choreographed. It's such a well choreographed fight scene. Ryan, it's gross. So I'm not sure how much of it. I can't recommend it enough. It's so great. They fight in this like really small uh, trailer that has like a black mamba loose in it. And it all culminates in, uh, <laughs> in Uma Thurman plucking out Daryl Hannah's one remaining eye in retaliation for uh, her like killing her master. It's so good. It is like these two like tall goddess warrior women that are perfectly matched like in terms of um, like size, physique. So great. Awesome. I'll get around to it. Do you recommend movies that will torture Ryan or are you a good friend? Because I'm the opposite. <laughs> I'm a bad friend. Different questions, okay? I mean, she's not like, oh, don't worry. It's like a total fluff piece. You know, she's not trying to trick this me into watching I... it. Yeah, I would never lie to you about it. Oh, it's the one Tarantino like, film that's not you. intense. Go watch Kill Bill Volume <laughs> 2. <laughs> Did you have to watch it? It's a crime not to watch a crime. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, I Continue got. The I finally got the through end. one, so you know now I need to com- to complete the series. Because <laughs> I'm like a twenty more years. <laughs> well, if you'll meet me when I'm shriveling with age, I'll be like, yeah, Ryan, this is another forget Taron. <laughs> I'll I'll have dementia probably like my grandma. <laughs> and we will literally be collecting social security, putting tennis balls on our walkers. Like Ryan, you finished that kill bill too. And Ryan will still be sitting, you know, like just just being, I think, like acing the internet. Like I'll be like, because I'm so chatty, I'll go and gibberish, you know, like and Nicole forgetting <laughs> stuff. And Ryan will be like, I watched volume two. Yeah, Ryan. Thank you. And then I look at him and like, Ryan, is that you? God, I'll I'll go crazy. And I, I hope I don't do podcasts for twenty years. It's about as good as Volume One. (laughs) (laughs) Well, while we're on the subject of violence, I want to talk for a second about arguably the most violent scene in the film, which is the massacre at the House of Blue Leaves where uh, the bride fights all of the Yakuza. And it's the crazy 88 scene where she just slices off all kinds of limbs and legs and heads, and it's very violent. But I want to talk a little bit about the five, six, seven, eights, who are the sort of Japanese girl band in the style of the Ronettes. They're all kind of done up in like beehives, looking like 1960s era girl group. and how much that particular song took off. It's kind of like Blur's song two or something, you know? It's like just a couple of words repeated over and over again. People really loved it. And it's crazy. I love it too. <laughs> but wow. But it like doesn't sound modern, right? Like it doesn't sound, it's supposed to sound like it's from like the 70s. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and they perform a couple of other songs in the film itself because they're, they're performers on stage, you know, performing for like all the bosses and the accuser and stuff. Um, so it's kind of genius to have them. It feels very like both in place, but also kind of out of time in the way that Tarantino movies do. Like they're very disorienting. So it's disorienting in like a wonderful way. Yeah. Exactly. And it feels, it's also very fitting for this House of Blues, like, because you could feel like uh, people are fighting and dying, and uh, on the other side, people are just dancing. You know, like, it feels like a seedy right. nightclub where, you know, sinister things happen underneath while people are, like, clubbing and chilling. So it's so it's so good in that way. I, like, yeah, it feels crazy and over the top, but at the same time, I could feel like... Some of the nightclubs I go to are questionable. What is happening down there, guys? <laughs> so it gave me this vibe. Like, I can see this happening. I can see who on the outside. And then people are being massacred on the inside. So, wow. And it's great because the song kind of, like, chugs along. And there's so much kind of going on with, like, the restaurant owner, like, trying to, like, please the Yakuza. And, you know, the yeah. bride is, like, kind of stalking them. And, like, there's all this stuff going on. And, like, the song is kind of perfect for, like, like it's kind of dancey. And there's and it's, like, the camera is kind of, like, just dancing throughout the the venue. Definitely. Yeah. The camera yeah. Is- they also, I just want to point out, because we like to talk about Tarantino's uh, foot fetish. They are completely without shoes. All the entire band has no shoes on whoa okay now i didn't notice that thank you for telling me yeah so once you know tarantino has like a mad foot fetish you can't watch his movies without noticing everybody that doesn't have shoes on uh, i thought it was a cultural <laughs> i thought it was a cultural thing i mean i'm pretty sure all of the close-ups of the feet oh, and then, like dancing thing. on a you know that's the way that it's shot is definitely not, not a cultural i mean not perform performing without shoes in a in a restaurant and in Asia, that that's a cultural thing, I think. Awesome. But you know, you don't usually have someone with a camera right, right by your foot, right? Yeah, when it's like just a like an extreme uh, tight shot close up of like a toe, like when she's trying to wiggle her big toe in the back seat of the car, and that goes on for a super long time. There's a lot of feet in this movie. I'm just saying, clock the feet. A lot of feet, totally. <laughs> Not a beat. And not even when just not even in like kung fu fighting scenes, it's just chilling in the car trying to get your your legs back to feeling things. Right, just everywhere. Um, so I had this. So I was ruminating on the soundtrack all week, and I and uh, in you know obviously I saw the movie too, and I feel like the RZA is perfect for this, not just because you know he has a lot you know he, he likes to sample samurai films and Wu-Tang Clan songs but you know the fact that they use so many pieces of music from other movies I kind of feel like like they're sampling like you know he's a hip-hop producer sampling movie scores for this movie and I think visually it, it's kind of like the same thing where you know they're pulling from all these different genres obviously there's YouTube videos all over about like how every like all these different scenes are exactly like all these other movies like that they're all these homages and i feel like it's kind of a hip-hop thing it's totally a hip-hop thing that it's 
absolutely that. It's like uh, it's taking things and making them into into new things, and it's this wonderful pastiche of of old intermingled with things that are completely new and surprising. And also, I think it works because if there's one person that loves samurai and martial arts films uh, as much as Tarantino, it's probably the Rizza. So, like, what a great pairing. Definitely. Match made in heaven. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and at this time, like, I feel like the Wu-Tang Clan was at its, like, pop culture peak. Like, maybe not musically, but, like, you know, they were on Chappelle's show... And Jim Jarmusch yeah. was putting them in his movies. And, you know, I feel like... Another one I love. Yeah, I feel like as Jim far Jarmusch. as uh, outside of, like, the hip-hop bubble, like, this is, like, peak RZA. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the RZA has, has talked about how, like, this was sort of his... He kind of asked Tarantino to mentor him in a way because he was interested in film and interested in in production for film and and has gone on to direct his own movies. So this is, I think, kind of him uh, entering kind of that that new phase of creativity. Yeah. I'm actually surprised he didn't do more soundtrack work outside of this because obviously everyone loves the soundtrack. I know, right? Um, I am also surprised by that. I feel like he absolutely could and should. He should, definitely. Look at the soundtrack itself. It's a work of art on its own. So in a 2003 interview, the RZA spoke about the soundtrack and said, you know, the track Crane and White Lightning, um, that was actually like Quentin Tarantino wanted a Metallica song there. Yeah, <laughs> I but they don't say which one, right? Yeah, they don't say which one. God, I love. I this. would love to know which song. Me too, because I'm a big Metallica fan. I just want to know now. Now I want to see one of Metallica's songs on his films, please. Manifest. Yeah, I, I yeah, let's manifest that. <laughs> I need to see that that vision. That would be crazy with some food fetish and stuff. <laughs> I'm buying this movie, baby. I'm going to the scene. Well, let's tell Tyler to put every Metallica song over that scene so we can figure out which one it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's reimagine that with Metallica. Could work. I just can't imagine any sort of like modern rock song in this movie. Yeah, and if you look at if you look at the soundtrack to volume two. Um, I believe Robert Rodriguez was involved in some of the production for volume two. And so that soundtrack has a slightly different vibe. Um, and some of the conversation around it was the RZA saying like, well, I didn't really want some of the things that felt a little bit more modern and more digital, but I kind of deferred to Rodriguez because Rodriguez and Tarantino are bros. Um, and I feel a little, a little bit of that. I think the best Tarantino soundtrack moments are really kind of, you know, dusty and lo-fi and unexpected and not things that have necessarily been, uh, like, used or popular in, like, the 10-year span that the film came out. Definitely. I totally want them to be weird and old. Which is why I think the this, the volume one, I, I didn't rewatch the volume two or go back to the soundtrack, but I still remember even from back then how the volume one is, like, higher 
in a way. It's like everything is like more complete. Like, yes, you can feel the epic continues and it's a, both films are just great in my opinion, but you can feel like some elements here are like top tier. You can feel everything fits, but the volume two, which is probably why it's more forgettable to me. Like even see Ryan just remembers the siren, even from the fleeting moments that you watch the film. But I don't think I remember a lot from volume two now that I haven't seen it like years ago. Yeah, it's got some great scenes. I don't think it has as many great musical, musical highs moments. as Volume 1 does. Yeah, just her taking a plane and the Green Hornet theme playing, like, such a perfect pull. Oh, I mean, so great. So great. I kind of feel like, I mean, obviously I haven't seen the second one, but it kind of feels like with... um. Like sometimes when like you're writing a paper or something, you're like really, really invested in like the first couple pages. And then like after a while you're like stop caring as much. Like when like you're peer editing. Like at first you're like, I wanna do a really good job and like I'm gonna go through every line like five times and then you get to like page five and it's like, eh, I, it makes enough sense to me. Like here you go. <laughs> I know what happened. I feel like they ran out of tricks. Like the bag of tricks just got emptied out or something which is somewhat unfortunate um there is in volume two it's a really great um johnny cash song there's a satisfied mind moment in volume two um that has a really nice like playing on the turntable kind of effect in the movie that plays well, I think, over that scene of uh, Bud, who is Bill's brother, who's this sort of conflicted character living in the trailer park. He wants the money from selling the sword, but doesn't really have the heart to sell the sword. Ryan's like, what the hell are you talking about? I need another 20 years to watch volume two. Hey. <laughs> That's probably, I think, the best, or maybe for me, like one of the more memorable uses of music in that film. And then everything else is kind of it's either a callback to the things that were used in the first movie or it's just things that maybe don't stand quite as much on their own. Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of in Tarantino's defense, can you really for four hours just keep on pulling these tricks? Yeah, maybe not. I think had it been, had it been released as one piece, you know, you wouldn't, maybe we wouldn't feel this way, but there's just so much packed into volume one that as soon as you split it, it's kind of hard not to favor that grouping of songs. And volume two seems like a different, to like, yes, I, I didn't think, I even remember back then watching it, I didn't expect it to be that good, to be honest, because I'm always volume two, uh, let's see. But it was so good, but it was a different tone shift. Like it had even more moments of, of a different way of storytelling. Like, you know, it wasn't, as high on adrenaline as the first part but it had a lot of a lot of good stuff a lot of good storytelling aspects a lot of background digging for me so i'm not i'm not trying to spoil away ryan but what i'm saying is it's really worth the ride just hopping on the ride and seeing where it takes you because it just feels so genuine sure. in a way that even the tonal shifts feels good yeah i mean i think it's kind of amazing that getting through volume one i was like she only really like deals with two of the uh there's really only two bad guys, right? The Vivica Fox, which she disposes of, you know, in the first fifteen minutes. And then, you know, Lucy Lou. Like 
I was like, aren't there like four more people that she's got to kill in volume two? In including yeah, the boss. Those were the, those were the most difficult ones. Yeah, it's like a video game. Like every level you meet a higher badass, one that is more difficult, and they keep making them more difficult to you. So this is what it felt like. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that, um, and, and I, it's a good thing, but I was surprised about how much they dive into um, Lucy Liu's character in the film, you know, because Vivica Fox gets like, I got a daughter and that's it. Well, so something that's been talked about in the intervening years between this movie being released and Tarantino doing other things is that he's always wanted to make a sequel with the daughters of the bride and, uh, yeah, and Vivica A. Fox's character. So that could still happen uh, if Tarantino doesn't completely quit the game. That could still happen. Um, Maya Hawk is out there ready to do it. I feel like it's it would be great, be really fun to cast. Very. Yeah, I think the last that I've and read is that uh, he doesn't want to go back to Kill Bill because it just took so much of his like life. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, I can feel it. He doesn't want to go back to kill. I mean, what else is he going to do, though? Someone else needs revenge somewhere. <laughs> Just don't give it to Robert Rodriguez. It's all I ask. No, please. Please. No. No. Nobody wants that. No. Rodriguez land stays with, you know, like Desperado and all that. You know, like, I don't know, OOs or 90s hotness. You can, you can do me. another grindhouse, like, double feature with him, but that's it. Yeah, but this is, yeah, exactly. Enough is enough, baby. But, like, I really would have, I would have liked to see something with the girl, Nikki, uh, the, the character, just going to the bride to take her revenge, like an aging bride and stuff. This would have been really cool, even... Casting, you know, like uh, Uma Thurman now and the age difference and getting a young actress whom we haven't witnessed before. Or maybe someone like Taylor Russell, who was great in Bones and All and stuff like that. And just getting a face off or getting her just seeking the bride and the bride kind of like nobly accepting death, even with the sword and stuff like that. It would have been really, it would have been a really cool way to, to see how, yes, the girl still feels raw about seeing her mom die before her eyes and... She's just going after the bride, so it would have been wonderful to just have that face off. I, I even envisioned it in my mind, and it was great. I just love that conversation great. that they have, where she's like, I didn't mean yeah, to do that true. in front of you, but I kind of had to. And when you grow up, if you want to seek <laughs> revenge, I'll be waiting. Yeah, it's like so chilling, too. Like, wow, like she would have, she would expect this at a certain point in her life, and I like these moments. This is what makes cinema for me, like, Things that don't happen in real life where, you know, like the best revenge you can get is just going to your ankle like, you're bullying me as a kid, okay? Or just seeing that yeah. your aunt doesn't remember you so you can't even tell her how mean she was to you in childhood. So yeah, so cinema, just you live for these moments. No wasted moments and no wasted characters in Kill Bill. At yeah. all, at all. It's a, it's a great way to show kind of that code that kind of runs through all these characters. You know, you see her, okay, like, didn't mean for you to see that. If you want to get revenge later, I understand. And then David Carradine, like, you know what? Let's not kill her while she's in a coma. That would not be honorable. Yeah. 
Right. I was going to bring that up. There's this kind of weird recurring theme of like the whacked out code that they seem to have. I mean, it's very elastic, right? Like they were going to kill her in her sleep. (laughs) But at the last second, like, no. Right. Well, and also, again, this is a volume two thing, but in volume two, when Daryl Hannah's character finds out that um, Bud, who is basically the degenerate brother of Bill, uh, shoots her with like a rock salt gun and he's the one to, she thinks at the time, take her out. She's super pissed because she's like, well, we're just like a nobody. She's the greatest warrior ever. She's like the greatest adversary I've ever faced. And you took her out. That sucks. And then she kills him with a snake and it's great. Very. Ryan, watch volume two. I've just spoiled all of it for you. So (laughs) you might as well. (laughs) Sweet dreams. Let me watch it right before I go to sleep. Before we continue with our episode, here's a word from our sponsor. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated, and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. But I feel like this is also weird, but it kind of feels like real life too. Like when you when you see how people have like these twisted moral codes, but in their own, you know, like corporate world, for example, or just, I always probably because I overanalyze everything, but I just feel like it kind of feels the same, but maybe this is an extreme, exaggerated version of our world where just violence is the key, but you can feel it too. Like I can hurt you, but not in that way, or I can delay hurting you until you're ready. And it feels like, wow, maybe if I had written a competition in a corporate for a position or example, I could have written it as bloodthirsty, sans the blood. Without, just get out all the limbs and stuff. Everybody keeps their limbs, everybody keeps their eyeballs, but it will still feel as vicious and evil and sinister and like backstabbing and stuff like that. So for me, I don't, probably this is why I didn't feel like Tarantino's movies were so shocking to me because it feels like, yeah, it's the same as real people, but you just throw in like, let's remove civilization and humanity and all the rules and all the crap like that. Just people existing in their own worlds with their own rules and their own codes as if they're like, kind of like the greek gods you know like having all the fights up there where all the stupid humans are just down you know waiting to be sucked by a god like when you have an altercation between a normal human and a greek god usually it ends bad for the human so this is what it is for me this is the concept for me yeah because they are like they're like superhuman that's why it's almost cartoony right because like these powers that she has to like do ridiculous things um like you know flipping on like a banister that's three inches wide yeah it's not realistic um it's believable within the context of the world that's been built by the movie which is what makes it cool yeah also kind of reminds me of the venture brothers 
Jylon, are you are you familiar with the Venture Brothers cartoon? No, but I should watch. Um, it's 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 kind of where you know you have soup, you have heroes, <laughs> and you have your villains, but everything is very bureaucratic. Oh, this so sounds... the <laughs> the the villains are part of uh, the League of Criminal Intent, I believe, is what it's called. Wow, and then. And so basically, like, this villain will try to attack, you know, our protagonist, and then he'll get a call from the guild. Oh, it's the guild of Calamitous Intent. He'll get a call from the guild, like, you're you're a level three, he's, like, a level seven, like, we assigned you to, like, another level three. Awesome. <laughs> this is so cool. And it's, you know, that sort of, like, code thing, like, yeah, like, if it was your, if it's the person we assigned you to, yeah, like, yeah, you could ambush him in his backyard, but... We didn't assign you to this person. Like you need to stand back. Oh, this is this sounds like something I want to watch. It kind of reminds me of corporate wars, where you know, like managers, headbutt managers, but oh, not like, you. You're the employee. So it feels like it. Wow, I like this so much. As someone who's been in corporate a long time, in and out, and all the toxic, amazing environment. You know, like patriarchy, blah blah blah, everything bad. <laughs> so this sounds like something I should watch and analyze. There's a lot to analyze in that show. But anyways. High body count. Also a show where a lot of people get mowed down. Ooh. High body count. I don't know. I'm still surprised about how, at how gruesome the anime scene was. I was like, I was like, oh, cool. Anime. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Ryan's like, yeah. oh, my God, break. It's going to be some, like, nice kawaii. Like, yeah, it's going to be great. And no, it is, like, the blo- it's probably, like, the bloodiest shot for shot maybe the bloodiest sequence in the entire movie if you don't count what happens in house of blue leaves but a lot of that is like really obscured whereas i feel like that anime is there's literally like a sword gets plunged through someone and then there's like 10 seconds of blood streaming to the ceiling it's a lot yeah yeah like there's so many things going on in the house of blue leaves where like you don't focus on all the blood And then there's that super cool silhouette fight. Right, it is super cool. But yeah, the Anna, I was just like, oh my god. Like, how long is this sword that's going through the person that's going through the bed? (laughs) (laughs) They really, I mean, they really play it to be the most violent it can possibly be. And then that scene of like the the animated like traveling bullet that goes basically through the guy's entire skull and then out the back of the window and you see all of it happen in graphic detail it's a lot yeah it was really it was really fun to watch at work during lunchtime (laughs) good luck ryan (laughs) ryan's just trying to like eat his sandwich at lunch put it down little chipotle bowl that you can't finish Oh my god, this is this one. At least it didn't have like ketchup on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so is the ode to Oren Ishii by the Riza in the movie? No, right? No, I think it's the song where he like raps. I think raps? it might be, but I think it might be very brief. Or it's just like the instrumental part Possibly. without the rap. There, especially within um, everything that happens in House of Blue Leaves, it's a pretty long uh, sequence in the film. It takes up a lot of the film. And there's a lot of different 
song changes that happen. That fight sequence is so long that you probably get like four or five different songs within that. And then you get the final battle right. between uh, the bride and Oren Ishii in the snow. So there's a lot of a lot of room <laughs> for songs and score. And a lot of those aren't actually on the set. Yes, correct. A lot of stuff gets left out, which is one of the nice things about Spotify because people will people will put together like a very completist list of here's my here's my playlist of everything that shows up that you won't get in the uh, 15 track soundtrack proper if you buy it on vinyl. It's kind of nice that people want to want to do that for their fellow nerds and movie buffs yeah exactly it's the best because i always i always go for the song that is not on the sound on the official soundtrack any movie like why but i would like this song even more than the others and i would just obsess over it so now that spotify even back then when it was so hard you know like just you get a, the official soundtrack but there's a track that I missed. What is it called? And I'd go crazy looking for it. So now it's so easy, even on forums, you know, or like websites where you can just ask people like, what was the name of the song here? Like, I think they saw this movie. I don't even remember it, but I just went to Reddit and like created this account and like, I want to know what this song is called. Please someone help me as if I was begging and someone just said, ta-da. And I just almost hugged this person virtually, like, please, thank you. Because I just, this song is awesome and it was so awesome this scene and i can't find it anywhere so thank you buddy now which song is that that you were asking about on the forums it was a crazy i don't even remember the movie but it was such a great one i, I gotta text you I'll, I'll send you the the movie the song the scene because it was it drove me crazy for like days and i'd go to my sister and like but i want to know see that's what the internet is supposed yeah. to be <laughs> that's what the internet's for finding obscure stuff and diagnosing your medical problems, crowdsourcing your medical diagnosis and finding songs. Oh my goodness. But I don't, I don't want the fam to like Google their stuff or diagnose themselves because they'd come like, my mom would be like, yes, I know it. I know what I have. And I'm like, mom, no, Just st <laughs> stop Googling your symptoms. Okay, leave it to me because I have like a pharmacy degree. So at least I can like see bits and pieces and stuff like you would go. She would go to the wild stuff like, yes, looks like cancer. And I'm like, go to sleep, mom, and leave this to me. Leave it to the professionals. And I even act even better than I really am because I don't feel like I'm a good pharmacist at all. At least the years I've worked. So I just Google it for her and like, no, mom, it's just a cramp guess what it's just a, a cramp baby so just because <laughs> the internet is a is a wild place to hunt if you're looking for you know like a medical diagnosis or a medical explanation just i try to deter people from it because you know i know what i have yeah it's that ulcer no mom you just ate spicy food okay <laughs> like stop it okay so just yeah okay so final question um so the Rizzo didn't really have a film background before he helped Tarantino put together the soundtrack for this movie. Is there another musician you feel that if they wanted to, they could move into film and help put together a soundtrack like this? Oh my God, wow. 
That's a thinker. <laughs> Whoa. Hmm. I don't know a specific music. I don't know, like, Nicole. I don't know any specific musician. Someone who's like... Well, this is a difficult question. This is like an SAT question, honestly. Oh, I feel like... I feel like someone just asked me, like, my life, you know, like, something about, like, and when do you see... <laughs> I feel, like, stunned, you know, like, when you're prepared in an interview because I was a local writer and I would get invited to just shows to talk about my book and stuff like And someone just throws this deep question at you and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. So now I feel like brain freeze. Right, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> yeah, suddenly I feel that it's a bottle cap and like, I don't know. Jack Antonoff. No, I'm joking. That's a joke. You're so mad oh, at me, don't, don't say such things. Huh? <laughs> How dare you? He already produced the Minions Yeah, soundtrack. I think he can, he can hang it up now for a little bit. Um, I had my, my initial answer for this question was, uh, was Madlib, who is wow. another hip hop producer, because I feel like he also has that kind of dusty crate vibes. But I thought maybe that is a little too on the nose to go with another hip hop producer. It's a good call, though. I think that's, that's what's difficult choice. about it is it again, this feels like one of those situations where it's a really perfect marriage of artist and artist. So who else are you going to find besides the RZA? Maybe one of the other like eleven members of associated with Wu Tang, <laughs> but honestly, like, well, but but he but he is the the right. producer. He's the one that finds. He's the one that does all right. the great digging. But he's like rap. actually it. So I, he is like their beating heart. So how do you how do you find somebody to substitute for that? It's a little hard, you know. Well, let's open it up. Like, not necessarily for Tarantino, but who do you think you you know when you listen to their music? Like, oh, they should like go into like they've got such a good ear for like combining, you know, other people's songs and their songs would work, or their sound would work. Actually, I have one who is like, I don't know, his name is I think Eleven LT. I three. He's a really good hip hop artist, or he just—he's a good music producer, and I follow him on Instagram because I got obsessed with his tracks for some reason. They just give me this, you know, like LA Nights vibe, you know, like a, the sinister, the sinister dark belly of LA vibe. So for me, I'd like to see him taking on a movie that is a neo noirish crime, but at the center, a love story uh, vibe. So I get this guy. I've been trying actually to like write all kinds of encouragement under his post because I love his music so much. So I'd get this guy and I'd send you the links because I, I really like his track. They're so, they have this dreamy but still drug-hazed vibe. So all the best are. Oh, I love that. That makes me want to listen to it immediately. Yes, yes. That makes me want to go to the CD. Yeah. <laughs> you and me both and Nicole and would yeah. make our movie. Let's tickle that under belly. Yes. Yeah, I would love to see maybe like the avalanches or something do a, you know a good a good little that that would be fun. 
because they're so great with pulling samples and pulling uh, like vocal clips too. I feel like they could do something really interesting with film. That would be crazy. I'd love to see that too. Very, that's a, yeah, I like that answer. I did not think of them. Um, the the person I settled on eventually was oh, Thundercat. Thundercat would be so great. That's also an excellent answer. Yeah. And he's already collaborated with Kenny Loggins, <laughs> so you have your end credit song right there. There you go. Done and done. He, he has no problem with some Yacht Rock. What, I feel like now that we've done Kill Bill, we can do all the Tarantino movies, right? We already did well, Pulp I mean, Fiction. We'll just, let's just do them all. I'm going to make you watch all of them, but back to back. Like, Clockwork Orange fiction. style. Just... There's, <laughs> there's, there's more than Pulp Fiction but and Kill wait Bill. wait a minute. Pulp Fiction was even... Okay, there, the, the segment with Bruce Willis, man. Now, that, tr- that was kind of intense for me. Like, I felt it was so much more intense than Kill Bill. I Are you serious, Roman? Something that's a little too real about that whole that whole gimp scene. I hated that, it. That one's rough for me. I agree with you. Yeah. Oh my god, Ryan. Okay. Well, imagine you know, like sending Ryan this movie, and you're like, Ryan, just tread it with caution. I'm warning. And then Ryan's like, Hmm, it wasn't that bad. And then you're... they made me watch. They made me watch Pulp Fiction and film class. <laughs> that's what. Ryan's just quietly crying in the back of like the dark classroom. <laughs> the Godfather was much worse for my friend. The Godfather is it's it's also a very sad movie. Like for me, I always feel sad when I'm watching The Godfather. It's not even violence. It's just like they're it's like mourning something. So for me, it's like it's betrayal and it's you know like the end of love, the end of innocence. Like for me, so these things hit me. I think more than you know, let's chop up some lambs and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jylon, for being on the podcast. This was excellent. Thank you Thank guys you. for having me. I had so much fun. I hope you had the same fun as oh, me. We had a great time. Thank you so much. Uh, people want to find you on social media. How can they find you? On Instagram and on Twitter, I'm Jylan Selman. The same. And where they, where can they find your writing? Well, on Amazon, I have my two poetry books, and I have on theprose.com all my poetry, slash, uh, slash Jylan Salah. This is where I post all my poetry and my music writings, too. Very cool. We'll put those in our show notes so people can find that is um there as well uh you can find okay. us on twitter at soundtrack underscore your and on instagram at soundtrack cast and uh if you are so uh generous we we could use some more patreon supporters and that's at patreon.com soundtrack your life so thank you so much and we will catch you next time thanks for joining us this week on soundtrack your life Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.